Now we're going to talk to a man who I guess spends about as much time as I do in his life spelling his last name, Milo Yiannopoulos. He is fresh of a very successful tour of Australia. Milo is an award-winning journalist, provocateur, and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, which comes with its own paper cuts, Dangerous, and the upcoming book, Despicable, where he and others will name the names of various powerful Hollywood abusers. You can find more of Milo's work at milo-inc.com and, of course, dangerous.com. Milo, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, I was really impressed by the article that you wrote recently in November about your history of predation and exploitation at the hands of your mentor. And one of the great Christmas gifts, I think, that is coming out this year, and which, of course, will be part of your upcoming book, is this exposure of how many people seem to seek power, merely, it seems, to have the power to exploit others and control others and dangle fame and fortune and notoriety in front of them in return for subjugation to, I guess, often unwanted sexual advances. Can you tell the people who haven't read this article a little bit about how this Me Too phenomenon has, I guess, awoken memories for you and put you on this particular path? Certainly. Um, well, I had alluded to things that had happened in my past, and that got me into quite a lot of trouble last February, as some uh, viewers will remember. Uh, and, and people have been asking me, well, are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about this? Are you going to tell us what happened? And I, you know, I was thinking about it, and, and I floated this article to see if this Me Too movement was, as it claims to be, as it, as it, seems to, as, as it presents itself, politically agnostic and about victims, or if there was some sort of politically charged element to it. So I dropped an article about a very prominent, very famous journalist um, in London, Damien Thompson, who was my journalistic mentor, um, with lots of detail, shared that detail with journalists to see if it would get picked up. And it didn't. Now, everybody in London has read that piece. The piece has done, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. Um, everyone has read it, but no journalist wanted to follow it up. And this got me thinking, um, I, would, I had already decided to write my book at this point, but I did, I just, I sort of floated it just as a, as an experiment to see if anybody would pick it up or whether there was some uh, political dimension to all this. And it turns out, of course, that there is. Um, there is such a thing as the wrong victims, unlike what feminists constantly tell us. Um, and, and my, my experience with this guy was, was very heavily redolent of the Weinstein stuff as I had seen it. Um, from from women and, and and various other things that I'd seen in Hollywood. So I had decided after my last book was such a big success um, that the next book was going to be about the entertainment industry, about Hollywood and the media, um, the extraordinary double talk and hypocrisy of both those industries, and also um, my the real insight I suppose in this book uh, is is that the creative collapse and the um, financial disasters that Hollywood is now experiencing come from the same source as the Me Too, Weinstein, Spacey um, apocalypse. They come from a collapse in moral foundation. Um, they come from a, a sort of descent into, into moral nihilism. And the, the, the insight of this book is really that, um, you know, Hollywood's present troubles, its creative uh, crises, and its uh, sexual assault crises come from the same place. Um, and so I have, I have a few A-list friends who um, do not want to talk to other journalists because they don't believe that they'll get a fair hearing. They think they will be turned into the bad guys, as Matt Lauer tried to do with Corey Feldman. Now we know why. Um, you know, so uh, there's some people who only want to talk to me, and they will be in this book. I'll tell my story of what I've seen uh, over the course of working in media in, in Europe and in America and living in Hollywood in 2008. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and it's 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 a it's a my contribution to um, the literature around this incredible, amazing moment. It's bigger than Gamergate. It's the biggest moment in culture probably in decades. The left's um, you know the left come biting itself. Uh, oh, it's astonishing. Rem- I mean, when I that- when I think of the moral nihilism and empty materialism and mere physical sensuality that's kind of been vomiting out of Hollywood over the past couple of decades, like like sickness out of an ancient Roman overeating festival, it is amazing to see just how <laughs> much it has turned back in on themselves and the very weapon that they have used against non-leftists, this weaponization of sexual accusations has really been like an ancient musket that you aiming at someone just goes off in your own face it's and you know much as i hate to say it you have to give credit where it's due and you know i'm not i'm not a blindly partisan guy i try to be honest and try to say it like i see it you have to give a lot of the credit for this to buzzfeed buzzfeed has developed this appetite this willingness to um to defecate where it eats just as a family show so i won't swear but um you know to 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 um to start pointing its guns at people on its own side. And I think, you know, BuzzFeed has written terrible things about me, long articles full of misrepresentations, distortions, disingenuousness, and lies. Um, But they have been prepared to to practice what they preach. So you have to give BuzzFeed some credit for this, um, much as I hate to say it. Um, it's It's been remarkable watching it happen. I guess they see that there's some sort of editorial or commercial advantage to... Um, to going after their own side, uh, which is sort of inevitable, I guess, given how badly BuzzFeed is doing in terms of traffic and, 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 and business and all the rest of it. But, um, I don't know. Is it encouraging? Is it great? Who knows? But, but, but what, one thing that is happening now is this ludicrous suspension of due process and of all of the usual rules of accusation, inquiry, sentence, consequence, you know, the usual order of things when somebody is accused of doing something wrong has been completely inverted by the progressive left um, you know, as part of their their psychotic man-hating. And now it's being brought to bear on the left. And, and, and guess what? Who knew? Well, we all knew. Hardly a surprise. The people who behaved the worst weren't conservatives. There are a couple of stories of Republicans and libertarians, you know, behaving badly. But the worst offenders are, of course, all on the left. Um, because these hysterical shrieking banshees with their aggressive public displays of virtue were, were the most morally deplorable of all. And they showed us who they were. I mean, you know, they goaded us. They, they wanted us to, to challenge them. They, they were desperate for us to, to call them. I mean, look, putting out things like American Beauty, that movie, where they showed us who they are and dared us to call them on it and to, to find it, um, you know, to, to find it repugnant. And, and, and we, and we didn't and we couldn't and we would not because it was, it was, you know, it was just this, it, we weren't ready for it yet. We weren't ready to go up against them. But Spacey himself in this movie, American Beauty, where Hollywood showed us, they bared it all. They displayed to us who they were and we didn't do anything about it um, to our great shame. Well, so, how could we? Yeah, I mean, without the alternative gone. media to hold their feet to the fire, it certainly wasn't going to come out of the mainstream media. And I've kind of been jumping up and down on my show talking about what an incredible moment this is. And you sort of alleged to this earlier, Milo, about like what an amazing cultural gift this is. I mean, I, to some degree, come out of the art world. Like I went to theater school and, and wrote novels and plays and so on and, and was a director briefly. And the power that art has to shape our consciousness is very hard to overestimate. And the paralysis and self-doubt and crippling 
self-flagellation that must be occurring in, in Hollywood these days. I mean, for all of these predators to be, you know, tweet scrolling in terror about the next time and the next someone and the next trail that's going to lead to their very fetid bedroom doors. This is throwing a whole industry into paralysis. And this is a, a creating opportunities for other more wholesome people to bring their art to the fore, which really wasn't available before. I think that's true. I mean, look, the whole thing is delicious. It's wonderful. Watching people hoist by their own petard, as, as, uh, as Hamlet has it. Um, you know, th this, is, this is a great moment of seeing people reaping the reward, you know, reaping the, the, the consequences of something, you know, of, some, of something awful, which is this suspension of due process, this man-hating, this culture of fear, this climate of antagonism between the sexes. Um, but, but here's the thing. Whenever you set men against women, uh, you know, a lot of women making allegations against a lot of powerful men, it becomes instantly politicized, rightly or wrongly. I guess it's a, I guess it's a pity. Um, you know, people on the left tend to gang up with the women. People on the right tend to gang up with the men. Um, something cultural in there for another, for another day. But Hollywood isn't just guilty of that. And in fact, most of the allegations, you know, from women against men are situations in which there are no heroes. I mean, these women willingly did deals. I mean, Rose McGowan was talking about a seven-figure settlement and a second settlement to stay quiet, eventually decided not to take it because she thought there might be more commercial opportunity, more professional advantage in speaking up than staying silent. There are no heroes here. Um, you know, these women are willing participants in a system they then turn to their advantage later. Um, these women are not heroes, but um, this is not the worst of ho Hollywood has been up to. When I was there in the mid-2000s, um, I saw stuff that I'm going to be writing about in this book. I was never sure. I didn't go to the authorities. I was never sure that I had seen anything illegal, and I never really saw anybody, you know, I never saw anybody abused or whatever with my own eyes. But, um, you know, the, the, the gay stuff and the stuff with very young children, as Corey Feldman has been trying to tell us for decades, that is the stuff that will really destroy Hollywood. That's the stuff that's going to leave Los Angeles in a smoldering crater. And it's already happening. I mean, pop up, you know, university, uh, university administrators and professors are, uh, think I'm some kind of Voldemort figure. Well, wait until Hollywood publicists <laughs> get a load of me when I start going out for comment for this book. Because I've already reached out to a couple of them and they've told me that um, they are recommending that everybody they represent avoid awards shows and they're, they're trying to push the awards shows to go closed, no red carpet, no public audiences. These things are going to become hermetically sealed um, little worlds in which, um, you know, the, the celebrities are bust in, applaud themselves, you know, say some social justice shit, and then bust, get bust back out again because they can't bear the thought of being confronted with the public or with journalists because all any journalist is going to want to know on the red carpet is what did you know, when, and why didn't you say anything? And they created this environment. They did it to themselves. And so it's delicious and it's wonderful. I would just, you know, say there are some very clear-cut and horrific abuses which are not partisan. Which everybody, you know, is going to be uh, going to be horrified by involving underage people and a lot of the gay stuff too. Um, there are there are specific horrific abuses um, that nobody is going to be able to justify, and there are no political dimensions to, and all of that is yet to come out. Well, and uh, what has struck me too, Milo, is if you are a decent moral person. And you go into this Sodom and Gomorrah of, of Hollywood, into this, you know, wretched Dantean hellscape of predation and exploitation. It's almost like, you know, in, in academia, if you're not on the left, there's this force field that just, you know, they won't hire you. They won't give you tenure. They'll try and get rid of you should you be lingering. 
it's almost like this repulsion of virtue force field that has gone on for decades after decade in Hollywood, that no decent man can draw breath in that fetid swamp and survive. And this concentration of evil and corruption and collusion is going to break apart in the coming year in ways that are impossible to fathom. But my God, it is going to bring a breath of fresh air to the cultural landscape, the like of which we have not seen probably since the 50s. Well, why do you think, of course, in the 50s, there were codes about what could be shown on screen and what couldn't, you know, people couldn't, unmarried people couldn't go to bed together and stuff like that. Um, Why do you think it's worse to be a Republican in Hollywood than it is to be a child molester? And I say that and it sounds, it sounds sensational, but Meryl Streep is calling Roman Polanski a god. Knowing what he did, um, you know, R. Kelly is excused, all the rest of it, because they have a little talent or because they have good connections or money or all of the, all of the above. People are excused the most appalling things. Whereas if you're a Republican, you become totally blacklisted in Hollywood. Why is that? Well, it isn't just because they disagree with these people on ideological grounds. It's because Republicans are far more likely to be absolutely repulsed and horrified about what's going on and expose it. I mean, the reason you get blacklisted in Hollywood if you have the wrong politics is because <laughs> You know, um, because you might not enjoy the spectacle of what's going on and threaten those power structures. Uh, it's very obvious that it goes, goes far, far beyond, deeply, deeply beyond, you know, having disagreements about the size of the state <laughs> or being Christian or, you know, whatever. That's not why Republicans are boycotted and, 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 uh, and marginalized and, and, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and written out of the story in Hollywood. That is not what is going on. It's very obvious. Um, it would be nice for Hollywood to rediscover some moral foundation. I don't believe it's going to happen. I think the industry is just going to collapse in on itself and effectively evaporate. And the people who emerge unscathed from these uh, sensational scandals are going to disappear into high quality TV. Um, you know, there's a huge and growing market, you know, whether it's, it's you know, Amazon Prime and Netflix, all the original content from tech companies. Apple's trying to get into it, Comcast, you know, all of the, the ISPs and tech, tech companies who build other kinds of products, they're all trying to get into content. And there will be a lot of talent uh, around um, in front of and behind the camera when, you know, when Hollywood effectively closes for business. And it seems inevitable to me. And it's a nice end. I think it's a just and fitting end to an industry that has lectured the rest of us, that has finger wagged and, and bossed us about presumed to dictate to the rest of us how we should vote in elections, whilst at the same time turning a blind eye to the most appalling abuses on their own doorstep and producing garbage. Mm. I mean, garbage. I really want to like, you know, superhero movies. Everybody loves superhero stories and all the rest of it, but enough already. Um, and when they try when they try to reach for something creative or interesting, they come up with mother, um, you know, which doesn't... It's There's no, it seems to me, space for provocative, interesting, wholesome storytelling. You know, there's no there's no space in Hollywood for stories that tell us about ourselves, stories that investigate who we are and what we believe and our place in the world and all the rest of it without being completely depraved and exploitative like Mother is. I mean, this is Hollywood telling us who they are over and over again. And the reason, by the way, that all of these women in Hollywood are so desperate to sign up to Me Too and so aggressively anti-men is they think the rest of us are like their men. <laughs> right. You know, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton hates men because they think that, that we're all, she thinks we're all like Bill Clinton. Huma Abedin thinks we're all like Wiener. I mean, the reason, the reason liberal women hate men so much is they think we're all like liberal men and we're not. Well, okay, let me ask you this, though, because you kind of brushed past the Christian thing. And I'm going to pause on that, Milo, because 
not only do I want to weave it into the Christmas theme of the conversation, but also this is sort of Ann Coulter's thesis. Yeah, this is sort of Ann Coulter's thesis that the left has something demonic about it. And let's just go full Christian. It seems to me that the hatred they have is not for big or small government, but the hatred they have is for Christian values, is for Christian morals. I mean, can you think of the last time in which a, a priest was portrayed sympathetically in uh, the media? Or if you look at the amount of energy that the media, both Hollywood and, and even academia and newspapers, how much energy they pulled into, uh, poured into exposing Catholic sexual abuses, whereas they skate right over it when it comes to the dangers for children in single mother households, the dangers for children in government schools, and the dangers for both adults and well, children in Hollywood. Children it's in satanic. Hollywood. The well, you have to just ask yourself one simple question. If Hollywood uh, was not run by the devil, like how would it be doing things any differently? <laughs> right. Well, how would Hollywood look if it wasn't being uh, orchestrated by Satan? <laughs> you know, it's like, right. how, how would they behave differently? How would the movies be different? How would the way they operate be different? This, like, this sinister sick, abusive, corrupt, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> system where women have to prostitute themselves, have to debase and prostitute themselves in exchange for temporary fleeting fame and riches. Uh, and you've got, you know, you've got... I mean, and that's, that's exactly what the devil did with Jesus in the Bible, is he takes him out to the desert and he says, I'll give you the whole world if you bow down towards me. It's exactly the same deal that goes on in these casting couch rooms. That's Weinstein. That's Weinstein, yeah. and you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's we're being we're being slightly facetious, but not really. No, uh, you know, if if Hollywood were an instrument of uh, you know of the diabolical, how would it how would it not be doing all of the stuff that it's doing now? Um, and 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 it's you know it's right what you say. I mean, when when one of the last big depictions of the Catholic Church, uh, the Da Vinci Code, where religion isn't just painted suspiciously, but it's painted as sick. Um, you know, that, that albino monk who's whipping himself, who's evil, not just, you know, sick and sinister and somehow otherworldly. I mean, the, you know, the, the Catholic Church is presented as this weird alien death cult, you know? No, I think there is a weird alien death cult. It's called Islam. Um, you know, but the Catholic Church, <laughs> that's how the Catholic Church is, 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 is uh, portrayed uh, in, in Hollywood, because as you correctly say, they hate Western Christian values, those same Western Christian values that made capitalism possible, that make all of the Western countries that, you know, that, that we know and, and love nice places to live. I mean, you know, Canada, the USA, Germany, France, uh, the UK, Australia, I mean, at least all these countries used to be uh, nice places to be born and nice places to live. What do they all have in common? Christianity. Um, you know, it's, it's an immutable, you know, unarguable fact that the nice bits of the world are Christian and the horrible bits of the world aren't. Yes, and of course, uh, Christianity, as I think statistically these days, Milo, the by far the most persecuted religion in the world, but all the left can come up with is made-up terms like Islamophobia. Yeah, I mean, like that isn't just a completely normal, rational response if you're a woman or a black or Christian or a gay or anything other than a, oh yeah, straight white male who practices Islam. <laughs> you know, if you're anything other than a straight white male, um, Islam is the most terrifying belief system, the most, the most mortifying, horrifying idea structure available, you know, anywhere in the world. And, and we're, I'm sorry, Islamophobia is irrational. No, it's not an irrational. It is completely normal, predictable, and healthy response to something that wants to kill you. We are evolutionarily, you know, programmed to avoid things that want to exterminate us. 
um, Islamophobia is, is like a natural evolutionary immune response to something horrifying. So Christmas to Christmas, it's been quite a year for you of ups and downs. Uh, what is uh, what are your plans for Christmas? What does Christmas mean for you? What was Christmas growing up? And I guess last but not least, Milo's Christmas message to the planet. <laughs> Yes, 2017 was an interesting year. Um, we have just come back from a tour in Australia. So we did uh, 12,500 uh, tickets across, I think, uh, eight shows, five cities. We grossed $1.2, $1.3 million. Um, massively successful. Just a couple of weeks tickets on sale. And I was only out there for, I think, eight or nine days. Um, and that is this size market compared to what we're going to do in America in 2018. So um, I'm looking forward to doing a lot of live touring. Um, I'm about to announce uh, something quite exciting on that front with a very well-known uh, left-winger. We're going to be going head-to-head live on stage, uh, which is going to be very exciting. And then I'm going to do my own tour in 2018. Uh, the book was a New York Times bestseller, as everybody knows. I will hope to replicate that next year. Um, look, the, 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 the feral left on the streets and the organized establishment left in the media and in politics has done everything possible to punish everyone it considers responsible for Trump's election. And have done, they've thrown everything they have including, you know, up, up to and including, you know, doing sinister and illegal stuff to us. Um, you know, Tommy Laram, Bill O'Reilly, me, they have come for all of us uh, with varying degrees of success across the board. Now, fortunately, I have the kind of, like Bill and like Tommy, I have the kind of fan base where it's, you know, it's difficult to take somebody out when they have millions of fans. Um, you just kind of, you know, you might, might force them from platform to platform, but it doesn't, you know, you're never really going to, destroy them and there's no getting rid of Milo but they have come for me really hard this year um, and and I think it's just a mark of how absolutely horrified they are they cannot get over Trump they can't reconcile themselves with the reality with the with 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 the fact that Donald Trump is sitting in the White House. They still don't understand why he's there. Well, I'm sorry, I just interrupt very briefly. I would say that the left understood how bad Trump was going to be for them even more than the right understood how good he was going to be for them. Well, I don't even think that's true. I mean, what has he done? I mean, you know, like not to be rude, but like, what is he really? This this apocalyptic event that the left was 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 prophesying, it hasn't happened. I mean, you know, it, it, it maybe they would have more of a case if he had actually built a wall yet. Nah, or, but culturally, you know, I, mean, I mean, all the stuff we've been talking about with the Me Too stuff and the exposure of this predation, I think they had some sense of that. And certainly if the Russian investigation is ever blown wide open, then the corruption within the DOJ, within the uh, FBI, if that's ever blown open, that's going to take a significant weapon out of their hands, I think. I think that's probably true. I think the secondary effects of Trump, which were always the reason I liked him in the first place, are going to be wonderful. The effect on free speech, the effect on culture, that's yeah. the real legacy of the Trump presidency. And it will never, because presidencies are, in, are interrogated according to policy success, Trump will never get credit for what he's done in culture um, because it's too soft and broad and wide and nebulous um, a criterion to judge people on. But he has done... He's already accomplished everything that, you know, he could be expected to do in two terms, which is permanently shattering the authority and, and, um, and strength of the entertainment industry, the academy, and the news media. Uh, their, their, their ability to, to shape um, the direction of the country has been, if not utterly destroyed, at least terminally damaged. Um, and Trump's election did that and all the things that happened before, like Game Again, all the things that are going to happen over the next couple of years. Trump's election is, you know, the, the apotheosis of this. And it's and it's a wonderful, important and, and fantastic thing. So, yes, I do agree with you on that. But there's no existential death. But what I'm talking about is, you know, you, you're saying Trump's election 
has dealt a blow to the strategies the organized left uses. It's made them less effective warriors. I agree. I'm saying Trump has done nothing bad for women, bad for black people, bad for, oh, you know, no. whatever. Yeah. Maybe he's stopped a few people who shouldn't be in the country from coming in. What I'm saying, you know, the, the left's professed victimhood groups have not suffered as a result of the Trump presidency. Good heavens, my love. I mean, I'm sure you've seen these statistics that black unemployment is down, Hispanic unemployment is down. And of course, all of the people who support Trump are still going to be called racist, even though these groups that we supposedly dislike are doing far better under the candidate we advocated for. Right. I mean, Hispanic, Hispanic, Hispanic unemployment is at its lowest level in American history. Amen. Thanks to, you know, thanks to, thanks to, you know, thanks to the policies of this government. Anyway, um, as far as Christmas goes, uh, I never really celebrated Christmas before because I, you know, I had a fairly rocky relationship with my family and I was kind of always living on my own and going to Austria for Christmas or, or just, you know, having blowouts and whatever. I have, um, in a, in a tumultuous and, um, an interesting year. I got married this year, so I now have like a my first family Christmas this year. So I've dis, I've kind of I've discovered a, a, a more compassionate and uh, and humble and human side of myself this year, um, which I'm I'm looking forward to exploring more in my talks and in my in my books next year. Um, I would say that uh, my if I have a Christmas message of 2017, it is. If you look at all of the, the fireworks and theatrics, the spectacular explosions that have been going off on the left and the right in 2017, um, all of these are signs of the progressive left uh, imploding. Now, for 30 years, we were bullied and cajoled and, and, and controlled by the nannies and the scolds, and, and, and we, were, we, were, we were edged into positions we didn't really believe. We were forced to say things in public which we did not believe in private. And this created this sort of tension, this, this preference falsification, this huge... Um, uh, uh, tension and it was, a, it was a sort of bitterness that we all had towards the elites who were forcing us to live in bad conscience. You know, they were forcing us to live um, uh, differently from, from the way that our, our, our beliefs and our consciences were telling us to. That changed with the Trump election, with Gamergate, with, you know, with all, all kinds of other little things that were happening. The 2017, all of these pyrotechnics in culture and in politics and the academy and all the rest of it, they are all signs that the stranglehold that the progressive left had on debate, on policy, on culture, um, you know, on literature, art, music, all these things is break. It's fracturing. Now, it's not gone. It's going to take 15, 20 years to go, which is why people like us and, uh, you know, all the people in politics, all the rest of it who support us and all of our friends, you know, whether it's Tommy or, or Lauren or Gavin or whatever, we now have 30 years ahead of us of dismantling the legacy of political correctness and of the social justice left. Um, this is the new era now. And 2017 is when is when the pendu pendulum just clocked over to the other side. And now, after 30 years of being um, policed for our beliefs and our language and our dress sense and what hairstyle we're allowed to have, um, now things are going to begin to swing very, very hard and very heavily in the other direction. Politicians who don't get behind that will lose. Um, you know, uh, journalists who, who do not embrace that will lose, which is all of them. <laughs> um, everything is going to look really, really nice for us over the next 15 to 20 years, provided that we continue to support one another and build and, and continue to build this movement after the Trump presidency. Who knows what spectacular drama and chaos and, and, and <laughs> crisis the Trump presidency is going to lurch, you know, from blah, 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 you know, over the next, uh, well, seven years, I guess. <laughs> um, but what, what, one, as long as we ensure that this anti-political correctness, populist, nationalist, um, anti-feminist, you know, all the rest of it, as long as we, we ensure that this movement survives any particular political candidate, 
or any particular spokesperson or media figure or whatever, so long as we're all pushing in that direction, the, the, the trajectory of, of change is inevitable because there is 30 years of pent-up desire for freedom and freedom of expression and creativity and mischief and um, all of that just just bubbling up and waiting to explode. And it hasn't even come. It is, we have, we've seen nothing. Trump's election was just the first indication that Americans might be ready for it someday. We haven't seen anything yet. And it is coming and it's going to be glorious. And 2017 was the year that we, we were made. 2017 was the year it became clear that it was coming, that it was possible, and that we were on the right side of history. Well, and I think 2018 is going to be lit. Lit beyond imagination. And I do sort of invite people, you're going to have to pick a side and you're going to have to fight hard because there's no such thing as inevitability in victory. No, um, but, but 2017, they threw everything they had at us in 2017 and it mm. didn't work. It didn't work. Trump is still in the White House. Tommy is back on Fox News. I'm doing sellout multi-million dollar tours. It didn't work. Like they threw everything they had at all of us and it didn't work. So what are they going to do next year? I mean, I, I used to, I, I was like, okay, so you've tried racist, you've tried sexist, you've tried homophobe, you've tried pedophile apologist, you've tried white supremacist, neo-Nazi, there's literally nothing left. There is nothing left. Nothing left. I like, I like the double entendre of that nothing left. <laughs> the left has nothing because there's nothing left. The left has nothing. There's nothing left on the left. Um, 2018 should be about us Every time they come for us with a new set of allegations or a new set of names, just saying, sorry, go fuck yourselves and concentrate on empire building. Because we're only going to win if we build parallel and more powerful, more persuasive, and more effective institutions to the ones they already have, which means university departments. It means movie makers. It means, you know, novelists, stand up comics. We have to now build a completely parallel entertainment industry. And it is the, the business of the next 50 years to do that. Um, that's the task ahead. And we can only do that if every time they come for us, we just go, oh, I'll go fuck yourself and get on with the job. Because too often liberals are, are, are effective at this. They're good at this. They'll come at you and they'll say, they will tie you up in defending yourself about mm. some new bogus charge. And before you realize it, you haven't actually achieved anything in the last three weeks because you've been too busy, like, furiously backpedaling and panicking and trying to reassure your supporters and all the rest of it. Just tell them to go screw themselves and get on with the job. Finish your book. Pump out content every day. Get it done. When is Despicable coming out, do you think? It is out May 1st um, on May Day. So it'll be available for pre-order, I think, three months before that. Um, and, uh, we're just putting, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some of the, the heavy interviews now with people who are ready to name names. So I'm doing that. That's what I'm spending most of my days on. I'm doing, um, then it's, you know, endless rounds of legaling and <laughs> editing and all the rest of it. Uh, but it will come out on May 1st and, uh, I'll start to talk a little bit more specifically over, over the sort of February, March, who's in it. I'll make some suggestions about what they're going to say. Um, I think a book is the right package to do this in because it, it, it if you want to make statements and release stories of this magnitude, I think they, they kind of have to live in a home worthy of it to get, get the proper level of scrutiny and attention. So a book is the right place to do this. I'm not going to be naming names until the book itself does come out. But I will tell you a bit more about the sorts of stories that are going to be in it. Um, and also the book is my attempt to explain how Hollywood got itself into this mess in the first place, which I think a lot of people are going to find very interesting because it's, it vindicates a lot of what libertarians and conservatives um, you know, and basically anyone non-crazy has been saying about the entertainment industry for many decades. Beautiful. Well, uh, Milo, I want to wish you a very um, 
Merry Christmas. Congratulations on your marriage. Thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to hearing more about what's coming up for you in the spring. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take, take care.